This is Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. Finish the sentence. The family that prays together, and hopefully you have now said, stays together. The family that prays together stays together. The family that prays the rosary stays together. The family that prays, period. The family that knows who Jesus Christ is. The family committed to a relationship with Mary. Right? These are things that we as Catholics often talk about. And when we talk about family, I, I don't just mean the, the nuclear family of mom, dad, kids, but of course our extended family, our chosen family. We have a whole series on the family from last season of Explores on the Catholic family. But specifically, when I talk about the family that prays together, the family that knows Jesus Christ together, the family that's built for mission together, one person comes to mind, an Irish priest by the name of Father Patrick Payton. I say Irish uh, in two contexts, Irish for Notre Dame, go fight an Irish, and Irish because he was from Ireland and came to the United States of America, an immigrant who became an American citizen, who then literally transformed the church with his preaching and his teaching, with his travels, with his radical idea that it was within the family that the church came to life. And that most importantly, it was within the family that prayed. The family that was unafraid to commit themselves to conversation and communion with the Lord and made it his mission, his literal mission, his job, to travel and to tell people about this, to produce radio shows, to produce television, to create an entire company surrounding itself with this mission of using the media in front of it to, to preach and to teach and to, to get families on board with the faith. Father Patrick Payton is kind of in the headlines these days within the American church. A movie just came out about him, Pray, the Patrick Payton story, a remarkable documentary that, that follows his life and the stories of families who have been affected by his mission and his message. But he's also kind of in the news and in the moment and relevant, I think, especially in 2020, because his cause for canonization is open. And just like we talked about Sister Thea the other day and earlier this season, we talked about Blessed James Alberioni and Doug Tooks talked with us about the process of canonization way back in season seven, episode two. Today we're talking about this particular person's story, Father Patrick Payton's journey to becoming a canonized saint. And we're not just talking about it in theoretical terms. We're talking about it with somebody whose literal job right now is to advocate for this cause, who is on the front lines of the conversation, compiling the documents and, and talking about who Father Patrick Payton was and getting his message and his, his name out there so that folks can be behind this canonization effort, but even more importantly, so that folks can learn about this very holy man who did remarkable things in the church in the modern era. Father Patrick Payton was alive while I was alive. Father Patrick Payton's message is just as relevant today in November of 2020 as it was when he was traveling decades ago. The concept of the family that prays together stays together, well, that's something that my husband and I are banking on because we pray with our kids every single night. 
And I know it's something that my own family, my mom and my dad, definitely leaned upon when my sister and I were growing up. And so far, it's worked. We're pretty close together, and we're all still Catholic. Father Patrick Payton is a man for our time, and his story is one that we shouldn't sleep on, as the kids would say, but one that we should know. Just like we should know the stories of of a lot of people whose causes are open right now, just like we should be advocating for holy men and women who have stories that not only we can connect to, stories that we can become familiar with, but so that these people can become our friends. They can become, as we've said in other episodes, part of our squad, part of our team, our, our, our heavenly, holy cheerleaders. That's what the saints do for us, right? And that's what we've been talking about this whole season, that the saints become our friends, that the saints become our advocates, that the saints become people that we think of as family. And quite honestly, if that family is praying for me, then hopefully that we'll stay together someday when I get to heaven. Today we have on the show Father David Marchum. He is the vice postulator for the cause of Father Patrick Payton. And that's a very complicated term, and he's going to tell us what that's all about. But today he shares with us what the cause for canonization looks like and specifically what Father Patrick Payton's story is and why we should be aware of it and call upon him to pray for us and to hope that his cause moves forward. This, of course, is part of our entire Ave Explorer series on the saints, which you can find all of the content we've created, other podcast episodes, articles, social media exclusives, Facebook Live conversations on Tuesday nights. All of that is available over at AveMariaPress.com. The link is, of course, down in the show notes. I hope you scroll down just a little bit and you click on it and you sign up and you can receive the emails in your inbox. And you can also be alerted to when we have another series starting Um, in the spring. We'll be back after this particular series is over and also find all of our old content. We have a series on Mary, a series on mental health, a series on social justice. You can find all of that over at AveMariaPress.com and especially invest yourself in the content we've created for this season on the Saints. Right now, I hope you sit back and enjoy this excellent conversation with Father David Marchum about the cause for canonization of Father Patrick Payton. Father Marchum, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Katie, it's my pleasure to be with you and uh, so glad to join your audience. And now, where are you coming from? Tell us a little bit about who you are, what room you're sitting in, and some of the work that you do uh, as a Holy Cross priest. All right. Well, Katie, contrary to uh, popular opinion, I'm actually a priest of the Archdiocese of Boston. Oh, really? I am so sorry. That's, no, no, no. I had no idea. That's good to know. <laughs> it, is, it is a compliment, and I am often confused for being a Holy Cross father because I work with all Holy Cross yeah. And And actually, that's part of my family story. Um, when my mother was a little girl, the Holy Cross priest came and did a mission in her home parish, about 25 miles south of here. I'm I'm about 20 miles south of Boston. Another 25 miles south of here is Fall River, Mass. And back then, they were doing these great parish missions, which actually fits in the Father Payton story, too. And my grandparents lived four houses up from the church, were very involved, and it was not uncommon for priests to come by and to visit and, and just to have a great time. So from the time my mom was about I'd say eight years old, she started visiting right here at Stonehill College, where I am. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting in my office here at the Father Peyton Center, which is the world headquarters for Holy Cross Family Ministries. Yeah. And I am about a 10-minute walk where 
Father Peyton is in the cemetery with his Holy Cross brothers and priests. Mm. And um, so uh, you're probably going to hear my Quincy accent, which is I, I can. I'm hearing it now. I wasn't listening for it, but now I can hear it. <laughs> yeah, it's it can get stronger. <laughs> so anyway, um, I grew up just outside of Boston with my mom, my dad, my brother Pat, who everyone thought would be the priest. <laughs> uh, me too. And he's married with three kids and happily running a FEMA office out in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, wow. And uh, I became a physical therapist because of my interest in helping people in sports. And I went to Northeastern University, got my bachelor's degree, went to work in Boston, loved it, was chasing that dream and heading towards um, marriage and family life. And went on to get my master's degree in orthopedics. And it was right at that decision point that my brother invited me to go to a holy hour every Friday, which I had never been to. And it was really good timing because I was trying to decide, okay, do I go to work um, with an administrative clinical position at Mass General, or do I apply for a doctoral program and go more the the research clinical side? And it was through those holy hours that I, I think God was, I know God was working on my heart. And then suddenly out of the blue, um, totally unexpected, I heard the call to priesthood and that led me to study at St. John's Seminary, where there were guys from Lafayette, Louisiana. Yeah, right up the road. <laughs> in my class, Father Kevin Bordelon, Father Ken Broussard, uh, great guys. And so um, I was ordained in 05, assigned to a parish further west of Boston. And then uh, I was asked to come to Holy Cross Family Ministries and to assist in Father Peyton's cause. And that's where I started to learn about Father Peyton, his mission, what a cause involves. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was, you know, kind of cruising along, really enjoying it here. And then the vice postulator, Father George Lucas, who is a Holy Cross priest, to go down to Peru. Oh, wow. And then that's, again, surprisingly, <laughs> surprises, they asked me to be the vice postulator. So that was back in 09. Oh, wow. So it's been it's been some years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've gotten to see some awesome stuff connected to Father Peyton's cause and met a lot of wonderful people along the way. Now, we're talking about Father Peyton for listeners um, that that first of all, your vocation story is pretty remarkable uh, in the simplicity of it. You were around priests, you raised Catholic, you prayed pretty consistently and God made it clear to you. I mean, part of the the season that we're doing here is listening to God's voice the same way that the saints listened. Sometimes we think it happens in a lightning bolt moment, but but oftentimes it's very subtle nudges. What was kind of the moment that you were you were certain? Okay, this is this is what God is asking of me. How did you actually hear that? Okay, so it, it I, I like the way you describe it. It it kind of happens over time where God's preparing the soil. So I look at the holy hours as one key element to preparing the soul, soul, soil, soul and soil, both. (laughs) I actually, I I go back to like, when you say I grew up in a, in a Catholic family that our faith meant a lot to us and we were around people, including priests and other religious who we could talk to and grow in our faith. And it was natural. Then I think the other, the other part of it was I got into uh, medical bioethics when I was still in practice and physical therapy and, and then that got me into another group of people where it integrated my faith with, in a, in a deeper way, in a more public way, with what I was doing in healthcare. Mm. 
And then, and here's the lightning bolt moment. I'm sitting in mass uh, one day, a daily mass. I wasn't really focusing, to be honest with you. I heard the gospel of Matthew where Jesus says, come follow me. I'd heard it a million times, but when I heard that, I heard it as a vocational call to the priesthood, mm. to which I reacted with shock and disappointment. <laughs> and with my analytical side, started trying to rule out every possibility that it wasn't authentic. But I got, after about two weeks of praying and ruling out all the, you know, extraneous, non-good reasons, I was left with, no, I can't escape this. This seems legitimate. I talked to um, a couple of priest friends, including a vocation director. And it was at that moment that I said, I think God really is calling me to this. I love your title, Explorers, Ave Explorers. Yeah. And that's basically what they told me. You're going to apply to seminary to explore this call. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's really what seminary was like, a, an, an exploration with a, an intent. But I, I, I think that that is how I would kind of generally describe, you know, it, it, it wasn't just a lightning bolt. There was preparation. And I think, um, you know, looking at Father Peyton's life, I can see a parallel between my story and his story in the sense that God was at work through his family and then through people that he brought into his life, such as the, um, the pastor at the first church he came to and worked in in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, Which... That, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was my husband's from Scranton. So I we have a, a deep love of Father Peyton in our home because of that first that first parish assignment of his. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that the thing is that um any of us, and I think this is good when we look at holy people, either already named saints or candidates for sainthood, if we can look at them and draw parallels. Mm-hmm. How God works in their has worked in their life, and then look back and reflect how He's working in our life and has worked. It can really help us along the way, especially when there are delays or roadblocks or disappointments. Um, and I think that so with Father Peyton's story, um, I think one of the things that all people look to when they see like a key moment is when he had tuberculosis, mm-hmm. and you know that was when he had already made so much progress um, toward becoming a priest in his formation, in his plans, and in his potential. But at that one moment when it seemed like it wasn't going to happen, when he was given such a grave prognosis in his life, his professor, uh, Father Hegarty, who is, you know, a, a very strong man of faith, came in and changed his life. He changed his perspective in that moment when he reminded him of the gift of faith that his parents had given him and that it was within him, but that he had to live it. And and Father Hegarty, in a beautiful but tough love kind of way, challenged him after he told him, you have this faith that's been given to you by God and nurtured by your parents. Now it's up to you. And he he has that line where he says, you know, if you believe that Mary will help you 50%, that will be the result. But 100%, she'll be with you all the way and now it's up to you. I, I, I love your story and the parallel to Father Peyton's um, and that connection you just drew 
you know, we look to the saints. They're not fairy tale figures. They're not cartoon characters. They're real people who live real lives. That's what this whole season has been about. So tell us a little bit of the story of Father Peyton, kind of the 10,000-foot overview, and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty of what a cause for canonization of a North American male, which is uh, not even North, an American, like a United States of American citizen, uh, is like in 2020. So first, who is Father Peyton? So depending where you grew up, you may have been to people like this. Where I grew up, it was not uncommon in the Boston area. We had a lot of first-generation Irish people, Irish Americans that I grew up with. So the kids, their parents came from Ireland. So that's the Peyton story. He grew up way up in the remote north, uh, rather west of Ireland, in County Mayo on a farm. He was the sixth of nine children. They were farmers. They were poor. And, and that affected his initial trajectory in life because back then, if you had all those kids and his father had health issues when he was born, so he couldn't provide for the family like he wanted to, the kids had to basically step out of school and go to work. Mm-hmm. And a father, Peyton, he, uh, he wasn't able to go on the path towards seminary, which he wanted to from the time he was like nine years old uh, because of his family's economic situation. And uh, he wrote lots of letters to different religious orders, and they had a bounty of young men looking to become religious in those days coming out of Ireland, and they could be very choosy. So as a result, he never got to complete his high school education. And he looks at the clock and he says, boy, I'm not getting any younger. Things Mm -hmm. promising over here. And he was very practical like a lot of young men of his time and he and his brother Tom at the age of 18 came over to Scranton Pennsylvania and uh, understandably by then he felt that it was God's sign to him that he wasn't meant to be a priest because all the doors had been shut and yet providentially his sister and brother-in-law lived in Scranton Pennsylvania were very, not surprisingly very active in the church I should tell our listeners if they don't know this by now Father Peyton like many young man grew up in a family that prayed the rosary every single night as a family. Mm-hmm. And that foundational element of his ministry that he wanted to share with the world. So imagine he comes over, he's 19 years old and uh, it's 1928. And his goal is to become a real estate tycoon. <laughs> and uh, actually, if you stop and think about how successful he was in working with people mm-hmm. and um, insights, I think he probably would have achieved that if God had directed him that way. Yeah. And yet providentially, his sister and brother-in-law were friends with the pastor in Scranton. They gave him, uh, the pastor gave him a job in working as the sextant or the janitor custodian of the church. And as he would be cleaning around helping with the church, he had a lot of time in the presence of the Eucharistic Lord to talk to him mm-hmm. and to pray. And I have to believe that like in my story, with adoration, God was working on his heart. And then the Holy Cross priest arrived with a mission. Like I mentioned with my mom's family, the pastor said to the Holy Cross priest, I've got two wonderful young men from Ireland who I think would be excellent in your order. And one of the things that attracted Father Peyton and and kept him really solid with the order was the Holy Cross order is all about family. Mm -hmm. They, They are. It's they 
They are. And, and that's what I've experienced in my family experience, both from my mom's generation to my generation of going out to Notre Dame football games and staying at the SEM and, and all that long before I was a seminarian. Um, and so he wanted to be part of a religious order that connected with the Holy Family, and that was Holy Cross. Um, so I'll pause right there to see if you want well, to I, know another part of this. Yeah, well, I love the, I mean, I love so much of his story. I've, my husband and I have often joked that if we ever have a son, he'll be named Thomas Payton in some <laughs> capacity because we love his story, um, an immigrant who comes to this country, who works hard, who has a dream, and then is invited into something remarkable, which is this opportunity to explore that vocation that he knew he had, that he knew he had, like you said, from a young age. So he gets to Holy Cross. What happens next? So, um, as I said, he hadn't received his high school education, so he did one year in Pennsylvania. Then they transferred out to Notre Dame. He completed his high school education. And again, this is this shows you about his desire and his humility. He didn't graduate from high school. He did it in four years straight, but until he was 23 years old. Mm. Yeah. Imagine how humbling that would be to sit in a classroom yeah. at that age. You're a fully grown man. Um, and and But then this is where his truths begin to emerge. It, then he goes into uh, the undergrad program at the University of Notre Dame. So all you Notre Dame there he is a holy alum yeah yeah <laughs> and he walked those grounds and prayed right on that property at the grotto and in any event he uh emerges the star in the classroom and when some of his professors couldn't be there they would have him lead the class and uh you know it goes to show too sometimes we don't get off to the right start in education and we should never sell anyone short mm-hmm. because it's circumstantial and certainly in Father Payton's case, it was. And um, he then went on to study theology in Washington, D.C. And I've already told you the part about his bout with tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. So now if you're listening and following the story, you could see he's cleared several significant hurdles, but then he's faced with tuberculosis. And, and really, you know, when they say that God can bring good out of any situation, what came out of that situation was a tremendous strengthening of Father Peyton's faith and belief in our Lord and the Blessed Mother's power to heal us. Mm-hmm. What he's left with is, how do I repay this gift? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, he didn't come up with a snap answer. I prayed about it. And meanwhile, understandably to his religious order, the Holy Cross Fathers decided we are not going to let you become a missionary. You're too comfortable, and we don't want to risk your health. Yeah. And so, um, they gave him kind of a modified duty position where they sent him to Albany, New York, to be the chaplain for the Vincentian Institute, which was run by the brothers. It was a high school. And meanwhile, he's praying, he's thinking, he's praying some more. He's decided, finally, looking at the world then, in 1941, that's when he went there. He was concerned about World War II. Mm-hmm. He was about the effects on the family, both during the war and what would happen afterwards, what was going on economically, how that was also kind of pulling families apart. And he decided what he wanted to do to help the family was bring what had been so important to him and so many people in Ireland, the family rosary prayer 
to the United States. So the first indication of that he was meant for big things was when he said his goal of 10 million families in the United States would pray the family rosary. Mm -hmm. And that was his initial decision, which would launch him on a lifetime ministry to evangelize families around the world. You know, he started first in the U S but then went worldwide. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was, you know, it's funny, uh, Katie, I was looking at the timeline and of course we priests always kind of look at, say, what was I doing this year? You know, Mm -hmm. an old ordained, where was I in 07? Where am I now? And all that. Within one year of his ordination, Father Peyton founded Family Rosary. Yeah. Exists today worldwide. Yeah. I think about what I was doing my first year at the end. I was just trying to make sure I knew which key opened what door. <laughs> Did I, you know, could I baptize, you know, seven kids in one, one setting without, you know, losing the paperwork? <laughs> and he founded Family Rosary in that first year. Yeah. And I looked ahead and he, you know, just looking at some of the milestones, it is incredible what he accomplished. And um, I think part of it is that he was so absolute and so strong in his conviction of what the Blessed Mother and our Lord had done for him and what he was meant to do with his life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, he was a man on a mission. Like he knew what he wanted to say. Uh, you often hear stories of how dynamic and charismatic he was in saying it. Of course, the famous phrase being the family that prays together stays together. He came to the fore, right? His mission really began in the United States, but then globally at a moment of, um, I'll say, great consternation in our world. I mean, World War II was uh, a turning point. It's what defined the generations then, I would go so far as to say what's happening in our world right now with COVID um, is another world-defining moment. So why is the story of Father Peyton and happily enough his cause for canonization open in this moment? How can we make the connection between some of the key points of his mission, the family that prays, the family that's committed to the rosary, the family that, that focuses on the will of God? How can we apply that to today, Father? The... Great, great question. And I think that the parallels, and I've seen them over the, it, it may have spiked right now in terms of the intensity of mm-hmm. it, but it changes. So I'm 55 years old. And when I was growing up in my neighborhood, everyone who was Catholic went to church. Mm-hmm. You just did it. There was no question. Natural. To be dragged, but for the most part, it was natural. Um, the divorce rate was very low. Um, Families ate together. Mm-hmm. They did things together. And um, now we fast forward to now. Mm-hmm. Or COVID. Divorce rate, probably over 50%. Uh, mass attendance, depending where you live, could be 30% or less. Um, weddings, sacramental weddings in the church, down. Sacraments delayed like that. So, so we're seeing all this stuff even before COVID came along. Right. Now you superimpose COVID on top of it. And now we've got fear. We've got isolation. We have social unrest. We are in a time of uncertainty and fear. Um, I would say people are really, and I've been talking to different mental health people that I know, as well as, you know, um, 
physical therapists and chiropractors, they're all describing this effect that it's mm-hmm. had physical and emotional. And of course, as a priest, I hear it's spiritual lives. So what I think is that it's providential that Father Peyton's cause is getting um, the proper attention right now that that he could be a saint for family prayer in a time when many families together cannot go to church. Yeah. And, and so what can they do? They can come together and pray the rosary. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you think about it, there are a lot of people who have prayed together as a family, even families that pray individually. And we, we looked at the CARA research. I think it's something like 75% plus parents pray, but they pray individually. Mm-hmm. The, they have a desire for their family to pray, but they don't have any experience with it. They feel like they can't be as open and honest with God if they pray with their family. Mm-hmm. And then you have Father Peyton who says, this is a powerful tool for your family. You don't have to come up with a new prayer. Here it is. Yeah. And, and it's accessible to people of all ages. It is, um, it is something that will teach you the basic prayers of our faith. It is something you can do anywhere. You can do it, you know, outside. You can do it inside. You can do it in the car. You can do it like we're talking right now through Zoom or Skype or whatever. Right. And actually, there's a, there's a part of the Father Peyton Prayer Guild that's based out in Santa Monica that is using this technology to meet. So I think in time when people are looking for something that they can have that unites them, and gives them a sense of hope. Father Peyton's message is important. Yeah. You know, I mean, his other key phrase is a world at prayer is a world at peace. Mm-hmm. And I always think about that our world is made up of families that makes up neighborhoods, that makes up towns and cities and states and countries. So if we want world peace, we need to start with peace in our families. Yeah. And, 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 and this can be had. You know, I think sometimes when I was a kid, um, I didn't grow up praying the rosary as a family. We do now. But if, where I found when there was chaos in my home, even if it was on the ride to church, by about the Father, peace had descended. Yeah. The Holy Spirit did its work by the sign of peace. Even if it was a tentative shaking of the hand. Yep. Peace was growing. By the time of the final blessing after communion, we'd go out to breakfast together. Yep, yep. You describe, I think, many married couples and the tension on the way out the door and the kids aren't dressed or a child walked out with mismatched shoes and husband and wife are screaming at each other. By the sign of peace, my husband will always lean over and go, I'm sorry. And I'll just look at him and be like, I'm sorry too. And then everything's fine. You're absolutely right. That prayer, it doesn't just like, you don't just over-spiritualize it. Sometimes there are things that have to be talked about, but it provides, um, it's almost like a blanket that you get wrapped up in. And then there's an immediate sense of calm and rest. Uh, And Father Payton being a champion of that for families and for the world, I think in 2020, in the chaos that is this year, that can be um, an extra level of comfort to know that there's this holy man who said this. You know, my, my 
grandparents were alive in his lifetime, you know, in the lifetime of some people who are still walking this earth. He died, remind me when he passed away, the 70s or the 80s? For the 90s. 90s. Oh, 92. Well, I was alive when this saint was alive. I mean, that's pretty profound. I hope you're enjoying this conversation about Father Patrick Payton with Father David Bartram, the vice postulator of his canonization cause. You can find out more about the cause for canonization, the documentary about Father Patrick Payton's life, down in the show notes, as well as sign up for the entire Ave Explorer series over on AveMariaPress.com to find even more excellent content about the lives of the saints. I want to dig into now, I mean, this man had this remarkable story, this message that resonated so deeply with people all around the world, this incredible personality. I want to dig into the details of his canonization, because I know that this is fascinating to a lot of people. You know, most of us, we know the the heavy hitter saints. We know the Mother Teresa's, the John Paul II's, the the St. Augustine's. What does it look like to know, okay, this holy man did these incredible things, and we want him on the roster, so to speak. We, we, we want to take him off the bench and bring him to the fore. When did the cause start? Uh, and what goes into those initial months of advocating for someone's life? And then what's your role now, Father? Sure. So in 19, so he passed away in 92. You need five years between they're going home to God and when you can start the initial study. Mm-hmm. So... Um, a lot of people would be surprised the amount of paperwork and research mm-hmm. and review that goes in just to having the Vatican consider to open the cause. And uh, so 97, they start doing the research. They interview people. They collect his works, his writings, his films, his radio programs, all about his rosary rallies. And they present it to the Vatican, and then they study it. Uh, on several different levels, canonical, theological, historical committees. And then in 2001, they gave the approval, which is a Latin word, or mm-hmm. Latin words, nil obstat, means nothing stands in the way of this study. Mm. Yeah. So just to get to that, and then you became servant of God at that point. So four steps to becoming, I almost said a priest, but four steps to <laughs> Well, we hope. We hope every priest eventually goes through this. <laughs> well, at least to heaven. So yes. first step is to get servant of God. And that's what it became in 2001. That opened the door for the further study. Next step is called venerable. And that's where Father Peyton is right now. Mm-hmm. To go from servant of God to venerable, they have to determine, they being a diocesan study and the Vatican, and within the Vatican, it's called the Congregation for the Causes of Saints. If you look right out from the step of St. Peter's, kind of diagonal to your right, that's where that building is. It's mm-hmm. not, you'd never know. Yeah. There's a papal flag outside of it. That's one clue. It's, it's across the street from a good gelato stand. I can yes, tell you. yes. <laughs> so anyway, um, what they do is they do a diocesan study. They depose people from every stage of Father Peyton's life childhood, young adulthood, uh, seminary days, all the way through to the little sisters of the poor that cared for him in his last days mm-hmm. in California. So they want view of his life. They're vetting him. Then, as I said, they look at all his writings, all his media work, all his rosary rallies, 
They collect all those documents and they did this in the United States. And that's part of what I got to be part of. I wasn't the first vice postulator. I was the fifth. And <laughs> I, I'm blessed by a point where within two years, we completed that diocesan inquiry in Baltimore, Maryland. And it was um, 6,000 pages. Wow. That was the written part. That didn't yeah. include the documents. Right, right. Or the <laughs> and, videos. <laughs> and, and Or the videos or the critical uh, biography that Father Rip Gribble did, which I highly recommend, American Apostle, the Rosary, yeah. uh, by Father Rick. And um, so we then sent those to the Vatican, and then it gets condensed into what we call a positio by the postulator and the vice postulator and other people. And um, so what I get to do is I get to work with, as the United States representative, with all the different dioceses who were doing the study of Father Peyton's life. And in his case, because it was worldwide, they were in 35 different dioceses around the world. Wow. And each questionnaire about his life had 200 questions. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> multiple parts. So this is a little show and tell, but I'll hold up one of the volumes. It's a two-volume set of the Positio. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and um, In Italian. Of course. Positius. I love it. Uh, there is English, thank God for me. Yes. <laughs> and so that was the document that the, the congregation studied. What their question is, did he live a life of heroic virtue, meaning like better than just everyone we know? Right. <laughs> and did he live a life of holiness? Yeah. And uh, thank God in 2017, they said yes. And then the Holy Father decreed it on December, in December of 2017 that he was someone that the could look to as an example of his virtue and holiness and someone that we could, the church gave approval to ask for his prayer intercession. But, but long before, long before he was even, had even gone home to God, thousands and th probably millions of people had asked for his intercessory prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things that was when I first got here reading the prayer request and the stories that, that people had of how he had ministered to him as an individual. That's the thing that really has inspired me too, is that even though he had this worldwide, you know, enormous ministry, he still found the way to minister to people individually. Mm -hmm. And, and for me as a priest, that is so inspirational that no matter how busy I get, if I could follow Father Peyton's example of still reaching out to people, being available, um, you know, that, that to me is incredible. Um, so what we need, and we're praying hard for this, is that we'll be a alleged, that's the technical term, medical miracle will be approved to get Father Peyton to bless it. Mm -hmm. And right now we've submitted to, to the Vatican for their review. One's already been uh, preliminarily reviewed, and the other one we hope will be sometime in the new year, the review of that will be started. And um, it's incredible the amount of people they put into this in their review. And the yeah. question asked, you know, I mentioned about my background in, in healthcare and research. I'm blown away. I am so impressed by their level of expertise and thoroughness. So, 
when we hear that someone has interceded on someone's behalf and that the Vatican has approved it as a medical miracle, it is legitimate. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> legitimate. It's not emotion. It's, they've ruled out every scientific explanation for the healing. Yeah. With faith. And so there have been two submitted to the Vatican for review. Yes. Can you tell us those stories, or are they kind of like under lock and key because they're in the process of being reviewed? You have it. You have it. They, they ask us not, and I'll tell you why. They do not want people to feel disappointed. Aha. Uh-huh. Because the, their standards are so high. Right. If there's a 1% chance of an explanation, they cannot grant it. Mm-hmm. What they don't want to do is to diminish people's faith. Right. Who truly believe, and, and, and how could you argue, that this yeah. is, you know, through the grace of God. So what they asked me to do is not to get into particulars. Right. But I can tell you that I am impressed by both. Mm-hmm. I was involved with um, the review of the second one. And it is, I can't wait to tell the story. It is yeah. a full story. Um, it is uplifting. I will tell you this. As part of the review, when we talk to healthcare professionals, you meet a whole spectrum of people from strong Jewish and Christian, including Catholic believers, to people that are basically agnostic. Mm-hmm. Every single person that we interviewed said, I have no doubt that this was divine intervention. Wow. And some of the people that were in the agnostic part of the spectrum said to me, this is making me think about God yeah. and the reality of God. Which to me is like, well, there's God's grace at work right through there. Yeah, yeah. I love, I love to also hear that um, the Vatican. We, I, you know, I, I used to teach high school theology, and I would always tell my students about the devil's advocate. This, yeah. you know, and like we all we use that phrase colloquially, right? I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. I'm going to fight you. Is that a real thing? Like, is there really a person who sits there in that congregation and in every turn says that can't be true, that can't be true, <laughs> and really tries to debunk? not only this person's life, but the miracles to actually prove and test whether that person's heroic virtue is true? Yes, but not in an adversarial way. Okay. Okay. So explain that a little bit. Cause I know some people just sit there and think there's this mythical man sitting in the Vatican who's questioning everything. It's not an adversarial thing. It's because we want to test it. We want to make sure that it's true. Yes. So we're seeking truth. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you are in my role I'm trying to uncover the truth about Father Peyton's life. Obviously, I would not be the vice postulator if I did not believe in his cause. But my role is no matter what, is to share the truth. Mm-hmm. Present, think of it like a case. Yeah. A legal case. So I'm advocating for Father Peyton. And then on the other side is the judge. Mm. And the judge is the congregation for the cause of saints. And their goal is... Um, to be evaluating the information. And they do it not to defeat a cause, but to reveal the truth. Yeah. And so they will pose really good questions. You know, like, well, I read this, that someone said that Father Peyton said this to them. Tell me more. 
So then we would dig deeper and find more to provide the context for the conversation. Same thing with looking at possible medical miracles. They might look at it and say, looks great, but I see this in the medical record, mm -hmm. this test run. Yeah. Then, then we go back to the doctor and we'll say, the Vatican says, happens to be a doctor in the Vatican, um, they want to know why wasn't this test run. And the doctor comes back to me and says, well, we didn't run this test because we didn't think it was going to live. Uh. <laughs> this candidate or this, this person involved in the healing. And then we go back to the Vatican and say, well, this is why. And then most of the time, they'll say, makes sense. Thank mm -hmm. you. Um, sometimes they will ask, in some cases, questions that we cannot provide the answers to. Mm -hmm. And then that's sometimes where things get bogged down. But the goal of the postulator and the vice postulator is to prevent the truth in advocacy for a case or cause. Mm -hmm. The job of the Vatican is to judge yeah. and to challenging questions which then cause us to dig deeper, which further reveals the truth. Right. So it was called the devil's advocate. They don't call it anymore. Right, right. But, but it's, we're all, in a sense, we may be coming at it from in different roles, but we're all on the same, we all have the same goal. Mm -hmm. we yeah. Want, we want the truth and we want to, you know, there was, uh, there was a book that um, uh, it was called Miracle Detective by Michael O'Neill, that someone gave to me a long time ago. And that kind of shaped my idea about Father Peyton, that I'm a detective in his life. Yeah. I uncover his life and share it with others. And the same thing when I'm involved with studying a possible miracle. I want to get to the bottom of it. I want all the data. I want a chance to present it in a full way so that the Vatican, God willing, will say, wow, what an amazing life this man lived. Let's hold him up for the church to, as a role model and intercessor. And then there's a, a miracle, a true miracle. I want to make sure that the Vatican knows yeah. that it happened. Yeah. We, um, we have the mother of the little boy uh, who was healed by Archbishop Fulton Sheen came on the show mm. um, and yep. tells that story of how they, were part of this inquiry and they had you know, her book couldn't be published until it was approved. I kind of knew, you know, I knew the answer was you can't really tell us the details because it's in the process of being looked at. But just like you said there, the church wants saints, but the church doesn't want to just, you know, rubber stamp every prayerful person. The church wants to hold up the heroes and say, look at this person's life and emulate it and ask them for prayers and name your children after them and put their pictures on your wall and welcome them into your family. Um, my standard question at the end of all of these, and you've given us such great information, both about Father Peyton and about the, the cause for canonizations, maybe a little out of left field. I should have warned you from the beginning. Um, I want to know who your saintly best friend is, besides Father Peyton. Uh, who yes. is kind of the saint that you're closest to, maybe that you've grown closest to? Of course, Father Pete, right? <laughs> um, and this is, this, is, this is kind of like a hybrid answer to your question, besides Father Pete. It would be John Paul II would be the saint that um, truly inspires me. Um, and you mentioned about if you knew the person, you know, through... Not like we didn't have lunch together, but right. <laughs> I was there for big masses in Boston and in Denver and in New York City. 
And uh, I was a seminarian when he was still the Holy Father. So I think um, he is a, a tremendous inspiration to me as a saint who I was, he was alive when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and also as an adult. Um, somebody out of left field, Cardinal Henry Newman. Oh, okay. Why him? <laughs> All right. So here's, here's the interesting part. So my mom is of Irish descent. That's why my middle name is Shea, S-H-A-Y. Very proud of that. My dad's family is from England. And my dad grew up not in any church. Mm. Um, And unfortunately, his dad, who became an English history professor at Cornell, was studying to be um, a priest in the Anglican church. But they had their scandals back then. And he left all organized mm-hmm. and okay. became a, uh, a very, you know, very uh, good man and a very, um, very much a mentor to many people who went on to become doctors and lawyers and all that great stuff. But um, I became interested in Cardinal Newman because our rector at the time, Bishop Lennon at St. John's Seminary, used to quote him and hold him up as an example. And then later on, as I started to read more about him, I started to where my grandfather's life was in England and would he have heard of Cardinal Newman and Cardinal Newman's conversion to the Catholic faith and what that process was and what he wrote about. Because in my own family, you know, my dad's a convert and um, his family's from England. So I just, but just the, the, the beautiful writings of Cardinal Newman attracted me to him. And, um, and the whole idea of conversion mm-hmm. um, draws me to him, too. And that even though he was a great intellectual, he, too, also ministered to people. And he also is very honest in his writings about the challenges that he had, the challenging questions he had to answer in his faith journey. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is also helpful to us, whether it's Father Peyton, Pope John Paul II, Cardinal Newman had an easy life right yeah you know they all they all had challenges and then the question is how did they deal with them and what can we learn from that in our own lives so those those are my answers a little maybe atypical (laughs) no I love it I was so right at about a year ago now like this week last year I was in Birmingham um, and got to go to the oratory and it was not long after his canonization so people were of course thrilled about this English saint. And it's just, it was really cool to see English Catholics with their superhero. Uh, they, yeah. you know, they, they adored the man um, because his story is one that I think the English people, English Catholics especially can really relate to. So I love that you brought him up because he's, he's been on my mind recently in my Facebook memories. I've seen all those places that I got to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's great. I, I, I haven't been there. But I, I one day want to get there. It's well worth Once COVID is done, it's well worth the trip. Um, Father, there's a new movie out about Father Peyton. Tell us a little bit about how we can find that movie, find out more about Father Peyton, join the prayer guild itself. Katie, I'm really glad you asked. Yeah. <laughs> the best way to find out is to go to the website, Pray the Film. Pray the Film is where you can get all your information about the movie, that's the beginning of the title. The full title is Pray, Story of Patrick Payton. Mm-hmm. And you can find out where it's playing. Um, we hope that this will then lead to, and here's step two of the movie, 
the movement where right. we 10 million families in the United States praying the rosary together for, for 35 days, which will then become part of their life. And um, so that's where they can learn about it. The movie is a blend of Father Peyton's story, but then it's four real families, mm-hmm. people that have been inspired and applied Father Peyton's message of family rosary prayer to their life. And when I say real people, I mean like people who are not perfect, like just like us, you know, and they're so honest. And that's part of what makes the film so compelling is that you see how God can work through Father Peyton's message and his grace and our efforts and keep families together. Yeah. For sure. It's an excellent movie. We're going to have the link down in the show notes as well as our other podcast episode that kind of goes into the story behind the making of the film. So, Father, thank you so much for your your time, for telling us a little bit about what goes into making a saint. Um, We're really grateful. Katie, my pleasure. And God bless you, your family, and all your listeners. Thank you. You're welcome. So just the same way we started, the family that prays together stays together. And I can't help but think that Father Patrick Payton, that Sister Thea Bowman, that Mother Mary Elizabeth Lang, that Venerable Fulton Sheen, that there are so many different holy men and women whose causes are being advocated for right now who are cheering us on, not just because their cause is open, but because they're saintly companions, saintly friends to us, and that we can get to know their stories and relate to their lives. This whole season, we've been unpacking that. The conversation with Mary and Jerry Lineberg way at the beginning of the season about their daughter, Courtney, a young woman with profound disabilities who died, we can argue, in a state of grace, and so is therefore a small s saint. The conversation with Doug Took about the ins and outs of the canonization process, similar to what we talked about today with Father Marcham. The conversation with Gloria Purvis about the necessity of diversity when we talk about the saints, and with Father Robert Boxy about Sister Thea Bowman's cause. I think the episode with Sister Bethany Davis about the call to holiness and Blessed James Alberioni and St. Paul kind of gave a glimpse into the project of our lives, which is to not only know the stories of people who have made holiness a priority, but to then be encouraged ourselves to make holiness the priority of our lives, to pursue heaven with nothing less than everything that we have, with complete and total commitment and gumption. You can find everything that we have created talking about this topic of personal holiness and the lives of the saints over at AveMariaPress.com. The link, of course, down in the show notes. You can subscribe and get these emails to your inbox. We're right at the tail end of this series, but you can still subscribe. You can find all of the content that we've created for the entire series there. Click through, read the articles, watch the videos, listen to the other episodes, really invest yourself in what we've created, and find all the other stuff that we've created for Ave Maria Press. We have a series on Mary, a series on mental health, a a series on social justice, art and architecture. Pretty much if you want to learn it, we probably said something about it in the past year, and we hope that you go take advantage of that. As always, we'd be grateful for a rating and review of this show so that more people can find Ave Explorers. We're very proud of it. We're nearing on 100,000 downloads right at about a year of this show's existence, and we're so excited. So if you could share it with more friends, we would love that. Of course, we are grateful that you listened this week, and we hope you tune back in later this week for a conversation with Lisa Hendy about how to talk to kids about holiness and a quick little interview with my three-year-old daughter, Rose, about what she thinks a saint is. Thanks for listening this week. Have a great day.